Welcome to Career Kings, hosted by Chirag Tasker and Jason Spencer, the podcast dedicated to helping you start, accelerate, and dominate in your careers. So tell me about your leadership approach. I think that if you ask 20 people about leadership means to them, you'll probably get 25 different answers, and they're probably all right. To me, in the workplace, it's all about enabling a team to perform at its best. And by that, I specifically mean achieving better results working together than the sum of our individual efforts. To do that, I try to deliver in three different areas, and that's culture, strategic vision, and resources. With culture, I mean creating an environment that's inspiring, people feel motivated, they feel like we're all part of the same team with the same goals. We know at any given time what team you're on, what the scoreboard is, and where we're heading. Generally, people want to come to work happy, optimistic. I want people to know that calculated mistakes are okay as long as we can recover from them and learn from them, and there was a possibility for considerable upside. Ultimately, I just think people want to know unambiguously what their leaders want from them, want them to accomplish, and the guide rails they need to abide by. In terms of strategic vision, I think that there's two things that are important. One, to ensure that you place a great deal of rigor and purpose behind the process of identifying the strategic objectives for your team, and probably equally as important, Instead of telling your team what the strategic vision is, making them a part of that development process. So they're not just a part of achieving the results and the strategy and the vision, but a part of determining what the vision should be. It's amazing how much higher people will perform when they are part of determining what needs to be accomplished. And then lastly, in terms of resources, I mean skills, tools, people, funding, time. You know, I realized that the more of a leadership role I take, the more of a really support function I am for my team to achieve success. I try to understand what skills and or resources my team needs to succeed, and my role is really to provide those so that they can flourish in their positions. This also means proactively identifying any type of roadblock that uh, may be in our way and working hard to mitigate those. There's so much more about effective leadership that we can spend forever talking about, but at its core, I think acting with purpose and creating the right culture, vision, and mobilizing my team with the necessary resources to succeed are really the fundamentals. Thank you. I really like how you boil that question down to three areas. It's a pretty challenging question in that you can go on forever and ramble on and kind of have disparate thoughts, but you did a great job at framing up the question to those three distinct areas which controlled your conversation and gave it direction. Within each area, you laid out the vision very clearly and articulately. And most of all, I think you had a sense of believability throughout the entire answer, which is very good in these types of questions because a lot of times people just kind of talk and it's more so like a con game versus really being believed. As far as um, areas of opportunity, honestly, I think you nailed that question. I think in some parts, I would talk a little bit more on the how when you broke down 
culture, but you did it in the other two areas. But I thought you did a great job there. Thanks. That's good feedback. All right. So I want to move on to our main section of our podcast today, which is really about how to effectively apply for positions and manage that process. And today we actually have later in the podcast, an incredible uh, guest interviewee. And so I want to be able to dedicate more time to her today because I think it's going to be really uh, enjoyable and meaningful for everyone. And so we might take a little bit quicker time through this part, but I want to just have a, a high level discussion with you, Jason, around what are the top level general things that help oneself manage through the process of applying for jobs. It can be daunting. It can be difficult. It can uh, feel like you're putting a lot of work in and not getting the work out. But I want our audience to feel like they have a way to go through that process effectively and actually get results from it without expending too much energy in areas that don't deliver results. Exactly. I, I think the first thing is to realize that it is a process. And with any process, you need to have an appropriate plan of attack. A lot of times we see people just jump into the application process with no rhyme or reason and pretty much spin their wheels and and don't get the results they want. So the first thing you want to do is really set out a plan where you lay out what you're trying to accomplish in terms of what companies you're going to target, what type of job you're looking for, put some deadlines in there, um, some, some real key performance metrics of how many jobs you want to apply for, so on and so forth. And that's step one. And I know, Sharag, you're of the philosophy, and I agree with you, uh, after that plan is kind of laid out. Step two is really going deep within each of those goals that you laid out. Yeah, that's a good segue in that I generally think, and this may be counterintuitive, but quality over quantity makes sense. Too many people just start day one, looking for a job, apply to 50, 80, 100 jobs. I really think that you'll have better results if you think about quality first. So find the five or 10 jobs at first that really make sense. You're really a good fit for. You're really qualified for. And that you can apply to those and go deep in, in all the things you do to apply to those jobs and make sure you get noticed. And that way you can essentially have five or 10 A-plus application efforts. I mean, efforts, full efforts, not just application. But instead of 30 B applications, and I think you'll find a lot better results by having that kind of uh, approach. Yeah, we. I like to call that not drowning in the shallow end. When you have all of these B and C level efforts and it's a shotgun approach and you're you know, doing a half effort to everyone, you stay in the shallow end yeah. and you, you end up exhausting yourself and, and you don't get the results. So you, you, you drown there. So yep. we want to move over to the deep end. Yep, absolutely. And with that said, I know you and I are both incredibly adamant about this last piece of advice, which is find your way of doing more than the average Joe. There's always what everybody does to apply for a job. And there's something, whether it's one or two or three things, sometimes just one thing that I do or I notice that you do differently that separates you in the work up front that when it comes out in the interview, it separates you from the other candidates. Absolutely. Like I say, there's never a traffic jam on the extra mile. Do something that separates yourself. Other candidates are not doing that. So whether it's aggressively working LinkedIn and, and reaching out to people at a desired company, or I know, Sharag, you like to really go through a process and what your job will be accountable for when you're applying. I think that's also great as well. Yeah, I think everybody has to find their own version of this tactic. I can tell you some of the things that I've done. Like I brought into the interview my 90-day plan. 
And it's not totally accurate because I'm not in the job yet, but I took my best effort at it. I've called the customer support line for a product that I was hoping to manage and got a lot of information from them. I've called the person in sales for the company I was trying to interview with. Imagine getting the product portfolio from the sales person versus looking on the website. It's a lot deeper, richer approach to it. So those may not be your approach or our audience's approaches. Everybody has to find their version of this extra mile. You, I know you get in touch with a lot of people on LinkedIn and get a lot of information, valuable information from them about the company, about the role, about things like that that really help you succeed in the interview comes. And there's a lot that can be done. And it may not seem like it's a direct result from the effort in gets you the job, but we know to trust us that those things do show itself in terms of a favorable light when the time comes to, to get an offer. Exactly. So for our next segment, we bring in an expert from the field to get some further insight, and I am very happy today we have a special guest, Dr. Belinda White, who is an Associate Professor and Management Program Director at Morehouse College and teaches leadership and professional development. She is also the author of a newly published book, Focus in Action is Great Leadership, Ten Tenets of Leadership and Professional Excellence. Welcome, Dr. White. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thanks so much, Dr. White, for spending some time with us. We understand that at Morehouse, you play a critical role in preparing students to enter the workforce. What do you think are the keys to nailing the job search process? Do you tell students, for example, to apply to as many jobs as possible versus a more targeted approach? And how do they kind of maneuver that process effectively? Thank you. Thank you. I am very excited about being here and having an opportunity to share these my thoughts with you. And so if we start here with this first question in regards to the job search process, it really starts with having a clear understanding of who you are. Students oftentimes come in knowing that they I've got loans to pay, I gotta make a lot of money. But that is not going to bring them the kind of desires and I guess success unless they stop early in their career, I think. To really think about who am I and what am I called to do and what's my purpose and really do some critical self-reflection about my gifts, my talents, and who I am. And once they do that, then it's let me do some searching around what are those types of jobs that will allow me to do that. So then I really encourage students to do a lot of searching on websites, put in some of the keywords of those things that they're interested in to see what would come up. But also I encourage my students to do some personality tests, you know, like the big five personality factors, see what they're strong in from a personality standpoint, where their strengths, uh, what areas do they need to work on. And when you start putting all that together, then when you look on the web and you're finding different, maybe five general job types that you would like to have, then start talking to people. And this is when you start looking at, well, let me talk to my career counselor. Let me talk to my professors. Let me talk to people who I really love and respect see what they see in me and these ideas and thoughts that I'm having about where I want to be. Then from there, going into, well, can you share with me some companies that you think may have what it is that I'm looking for? Then we go on their websites and see what they are looking for. At the same time, they're also spending time in the community doing service projects, going to different, didn't I see you at, was it a John Hope Bryant? You did. Right, yeah. I was it both was it both we of you? Right, absolutely. I mean so really getting out in the community and talking to as many people and introducing yourself and talking to as many people as possible, just kind of picking their brains about, you know, how did they get to where they are and how did they discover what was special for them, you know, in that sweet spot for them. And uh then at the end of the day, 
Then it's, it's a matter of start looking at specific jobs within companies. What are the, the competencies that those companies are looking for? Life skills and, and uh, abilities. Do I have those? And then narrowing it down to, I'll say, you know, your your top three companies. Mm-hmm. And then who are those people that I know that can connect me with those? Yeah, that's great. I, I'm hearing there that the approach should be a little bit more strategic, like you, you spoke about, that just don't hit the web. Hit the web with a lot of thought prior to that. And I like how you said, just put in some keywords that you're interested in to see what comes back. But you transition to talk about speaking to a lot of people, whether it's mentors and in your book, Focus in Action is Great Leadership. You lay out the 10 tenets of leadership and professional excellence. Would you explain one of those tenets? Connect to external systems and how it relates to the job application process. In our earlier conversation, Shirag and I mentioned the importance of connecting with people during the job search and kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Right. No one is an island. You can't do this by yourself. And that's what leadership is about, right? Mm -hmm. Leadership is about getting things done with and through others. So this is connecting to external systems. So uh, in my book, in Connecting to External Systems, I talk about having your board of directors. And that is having mentors, advisors, coaches, sponsors, understanding the difference in all these roles, understanding that you need somebody in each of those job titles on in your life in order to get you from point A to point B. So connecting to external systems says, do I have individuals in my life who can open a door for me, who can make an introduction for me, who can coach me and pull me to the side to say, you know, this is working for you, this is not working for you. Uh, somebody I can confide in, someone, when, those kinds of things. So that's what connected to external systems about. And then it's also two-way street. So it's like people who can really help me get to where I want to be, but then who can I help also? So your external systems has to be on both. Can I tell you a quick story? Sure. Talking about external systems. I had a call from a halfway house to do dining etiquette at this particular location. I had never heard of it before. It is a, a place where, a residential facility where really tough, ex-offenders who in their last year, they haven't finished their uh, their sentence, but it's like a day program. And so I got a call because I had a student who was doing some work there, and they wanted to do something like an LPD where they were doing three different sections. They were doing something on appearance. They were doing some on communication skills. They were doing dining etiquette. And they had picked like their 20 inmates uh-huh. that they wanted to take them through this program. So when they called me and asked me if I would do dining etiquette, I was kind of like, you know, I'm not sure about this. Do I really do this? You know, my husband was kind of, you know, kind of concerned about it. So as I was talking to the director of the facility, he said to me, he says, well, you know, Dr. White, I hear the hesitation in your voice, but I'm telling you, these men are coming back to your community. How do you want them to come back to your community? And immediately I went, you know, I'm supposed to be out there connecting with people like this. So just like I my mentors and sponsors and the Ingrid Saunders Joneses of the world and the John Hope Rice of the world give so much to me, then why would I say no to, to this other piece? So my system is both this you know input and this output. How it kind of brings it all together is that I was bidding for a consulting job. They asked for references, and I gave the person two of the references, and it happened to be that one. And when the person that I was bidding with, this particular company, when he called them, and they told him that I had been there and the, and the inmates had really enjoyed me and all this kind of stuff. And he said that that's what got me that job. Because he was like, if she could do that with inmates, certainly she could do it with my, with my millennials kind right. of deal. So anyway, so it's like connected to external systems for people to really see the whole around what it is that we're do. But then it goes all back to I know who myself. 
And I know that I am a person who wants to serve and want to help others. That's a really compelling story. I What I heard there is you want to put all of your assets to work for you versus just applying for a job. You want to put all your assets. And sometimes that value is created in prior years work you've given to the system. And it's not always so quid pro quo where you give the system expecting to take out. You give without wanting to take out. But when you want to put those assets to help for you, they'll be there for you. They will be there. And it just comes up and it says providence or karma but it's just the universe, you know, really does want to work for you. But it starts with knowing yourself. Yeah, and I think yeah, what I want our audience to take away is you can do more. You can do more than the standard apply to job. You can do a lot more of leveraging your network and using external resources to help make sure you're positioned in the, in the best right. light. What feedback do you hear from companies regarding the best way for applicants to get noticed and selected for an interview? It's the professionalism piece. It's the executive presence. Notice and selected for an interview. Got my resume. I've got all the right words on it. I've got all the skills. I've got the right GPA, those kinds of things. The second someone meets you, sees you for the first time, you have to have the right presence. You have to deliver yourself as someone who uh, they can immediately see and recognize as uh, someone who could carry their brand, who they can be comfortable with on a day-to-day basis that, you know, so the airport tests, all of those. But you can just automatically see that person in a higher level position than where they're starting. And so when I look at this question, for me, talk really more about how do you solidify that you will be the one that's selected as opposed to just being noticed and selected for the interview. Because I think being selected for the interview has more to do with intangibles, I sure. think. But then, you know, when you get those 20 people in the room, which one am I going to pick? Now we're talking presence. I think that's really something for our audience to think about is don't walk into interview as if you're interviewing for that job. Think about the fact that you're interviewing for the job two, five, ten years later. I used to have a boss who used to say, you can't have a blocker in your organization, someone who is great in that role but will never advance because then they stop the progress of all everybody in the organization. And so you can't just think about this person's great and is going to solve my problem. You have to think about can they advance and keep the flow of advancement throughout your organization. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's great that you mentioned um, professionalism and it's importance in getting the job and standing out in the interview process because in your book you talk about awesome professionalism and its impact on individuals advancing throughout their career can you explain what you mean by awesome professionalism and how that impacts career advancement oh absolutely because with awesome professionalism which is tenant number number six and it moves from the intrapersonal skills into the interpersonal skills and awesome professionalism just says that that you're taking it to another level. Back to, you know, when I first get started in the job, yeah, I know i got to show up. I've got to be on time, and I've got to, to um, dress the part. I've got to deliver. But getting the job and then taking it to the next level where you see me as a, a real contender, that's where awesome professionalism says that I have political savvy without being political, right? So I'm able to connect with people and people can know I appreciate them without appearing to be brown-nosing. It's having the confidence and the courage to be able to have those tough conversations with individuals without offending. People know that, you know, when I talk to you and I share this particular information with you, it's not going to go around the corner and be talked about at the water cool. So awesome professionalism just takes the basic the ABCs of professionalism, appearance, body language, communication skills, 
deliverables and excellence. It just takes it to the next level. So you're not just a good employee where you're doing mm-hmm. just what you're supposed to do. Right. I read the manual and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But the star count of employee who strategically looks at what is the best thing for the organization. I had a speaker in class. He's now with Capital One, came out of our accounting program. So he and he was sharing with the students that the average performer does exactly what you ask them to do. He says, but that star performer, that's the person that's going to do, I'm going to say, 70% of what you told them to do. But that other 30%, that 20% of it, they'll probably tell you doesn't even need to be done at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then the other 10%, let me tell you how we need to do this differently in order to achieve the objectives sure. of the company. So when we start talking about awesome professionalism, it's a person who has enough intellectual, emotional, and also say spiritual intelligence that they can stand in a space like that and say, yes, I might be the entry level of kind of young person on the job, and you've asked me to do these 100 things, and yeah, I've done 70 of them. But these other 30, let's, let's have a conversation, boss, about this. These things, well, from what I see, don't even need to be done at all. And these need to be done differently. Can you just, I heard you say something, and I'm not sure if all our audience is aware of this, but can you talk about, again, explain the ABC? Oh, ABCs. Of, of oh, professionalism. professionalism. Okay, yes. certainly, certainly. Uh, thank you for asking about that, because it's, it's really one of my favorite things to talk about. And I specifically chose that as a, somewhat of, I guess, acronym or mnemonic, because what I want people to understand is that it's not difficult. But at the same time, if you don't know it, just like starting school, the first thing they're going to teach you, what, are your ABCs. And if you never know you learn your ABCs, you won't get any further. <laughs> but the appearance, how you present yourself, your body language, how you carry yourself, your communication skills, obviously how you talk, deliverables, being able to do the work and do it, do it well, error-free, and E is for etiquette. So you take those ABCs, which I call the tools, appearance, body language, communication skills, deliverables, and etiquette. And you take those tools in order to achieve your strategic goals, which are to be, back to ABCs, appropriate, believable, and credible. Because that's what, when you're talking about a brand, establish yourself as, as a brand and a person, that go-to person in the organization who can demonstrate awesome professionalism, we want to have the confidence in our people that they will be appropriate, they will be believable, and they'll be credible. And if I can perfect and adopt early in life and move from unconsciously incompetent, meaning I had no idea any of those things were okay. necessary, to the point where it is so much part of me that I don't even have to think about it. Unconsciously competent, that's by knowing and learning those ABCs. That's great. That's some really good insights that I don't think people thought about it from that perspective before. Yeah. And it's one thing to hear it, know it, listen to these concepts. Another thing to actually put it in action. I think a lot of people may know these things, maybe not telling them new information, but are you putting these things in action? Two different things. Last question for you today is, what additional final kind of advice would you have for individuals that are listening that are currently in the job market, currently going through the application process? It can be difficult. It could be frustrating. It can be humbling. What's your last kind of parting words, the piece of advice you would give them that would help them given where they are right now? I have to go back to taking the time to really know yourself, and that's a growth process. I think that's one of the things that scare people the most, is they don't really want to know who they are right. because they may find something that they don't like, yeah. but it's okay. I mean, you know, you, you can't fix it until you know it. Sure, that so, opportunity for introspection. Absolutely, yeah. and that's where emotional intelligence starts. Uh, but then the persistence and resilience. Don't stop, keep going. I was trying to run up a hill. And I would come home every day from my workout and I would tell my husband, like, you know, I 
can never, I like get halfway up the hill. Run, I, I mean, I can walk the hill if I wanted to run the hill. And I get it halfway up, and then, I, you know, as I couldn't do it, he says, well, just don't stop. And I'm simple just, as that. Simple as that. And then the next day I went out and I just didn't stop. And I mean, yeah, I got tired, but I didn't stop. But I ran up the hill just for him saying, you got to be persistent and you got to be resilient. You got to be able to bounce back. So every time my mind would say, oh, you know, it's over. No, you know, I'm going to persist and I'm going to be resilient. So, yeah, I, that's what I would say for anybody. That's really good. It's like a lot of this is a mind game and it's mentally managing yourself and doing more. Like they said, Decades ago, no one can run a four-minute mile until one person did, and then all of a sudden, tens of people did. And I don't think that everybody Absolutely. got better at running a four-minute mile. I think once someone realized that that is something that is capable by a human being, and you change your mental goalpost, all of a sudden, more people were able to do it because that was within the realm of scope that's capable by a human being. So that's kind of Absolutely. in line with what you're saying, Absolutely. I think. Thank you, Dr. White. Thanks again for joining the Career Kings podcast. Please, everyone, go purchase and check out Dr. White's book, Focus in Action is Great Leadership, 10 Tenets of Leadership and Professional Excellence, and you will be a much better person for it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. For our final portion of the podcast, we move into the quick fire section where we take questions from our listeners and answer them in a pretty quick fashion. This first one is for you, Shrag. How can I help the interviewer perceive my content as genuine? That's a good question. I, I think that you have to realize that it is difficult at times for interviewers to get through and figure out what part of what you're saying is real or not real or what part you're making up. And so it's upon us as interviewees to make it easier for that interviewer to cut through the BS, so to say. And I think there are certain ways you can do that. Really by going deep, you know, avoid the broad strokes where you say, I did something and it's some large broad stroke. Go deep and say what you actually did versus what the team did. I think you can tell your interviewer what you specifically learned. What were the pitfalls? The deeper you go, the more it's obvious that you really did this. You really learned from this. It was really your project. It will naturally come out that you're proud and passionate about what you accomplished. Those types of things will really help that interviewer know that this content is real content and it's not made up or fabricated or kind of embellished. Great. Shrag, how do I manage taking interviews with another company when I'm already employed? This is always a tough one. I think early in the process, if and where you can, set up those phone calls for early in the morning before you go to the office or in the evening after you come back from the office. I wouldn't generally advise taking it at your office. That can be tough, especially as you get later in the interview process. You may have to take a couple hours off and communicate that to take a call elsewhere, or I've even stepped out into my car to take a call. As you get deeper into the process, I think it's appropriate to even take a day off when you have to go for a serious interview that's getting closer to getting towards an offer, or if you need to go into an on-site interview, I would just actually take the day off versus slipping away for a few hours and hoping no one notices. I just think that could end up bad for you. So I think you know the worst thing you can do is show up to the office wearing a suit when you normally don't and people kind of get a clue. So I think you got to manage that very carefully, but kind of always do things in the up and up. And I would just schedule them appropriately. I wouldn't take calls in the office and I would take time off when you need to take time off. Jason, I'm a new hire with a work event coming up. Is it okay for me to drink with my coworkers? And what if I invite them to my event outside of work? In terms of the work event, I think first and foremost, 
you let your superiors and your coworkers set the tone for what type of social gathering that is. I wouldn't be the first person ordering an alcoholic beverage if no one else is. But once that tone is set and if people are ordering alcoholic drinks, it's okay for you to have a drink. But I would do it within reason, always maintaining control. My rule of thumb is one to two drinks max. And then after that, non-alcoholic beverages for me, just personally, so I don't get too relaxed or comfortable in the situation. In terms of inviting people over to your own personal event, just keep in mind that you're always representing your personal brand when you involve coworkers. So just make sure the event is a controlled environment that you feel comfortable and good to have your boss and coworkers understand a little bit more about you. That wraps up our quick fire section. So, Jason, I want to ask you the final full interview question. Jason, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Tune in next episode for the answer. Thanks for listening to Career Kings with hosts Chirag Tasker and Jason Spencer. Be sure to tune in to the next episode. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Career Kings and leave your questions, which we may answer in future recordings. Subscribe to our show where you normally get your podcasts or access them on SoundCloud.com.